Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Indiana Mayor and Democratic Presidential hopeful Pete Buttigieg yesterday called President Trump's term in office a, quote, porn star presidency. And that's an apt description because I enjoyed it for about five minutes and I felt weird ever since. <laughs> From 30 Rockefeller Plaza in New York City, please enjoy this podcast edition of Late Night with Seth Meyers. On today's show, Seth talks to actress and comedian Paula Pell, who also sticks around to answer a few more questions backstage at Studio AG. But first, a closer look. President Trump has been lying about everything from Paul Manafort's sentencing to a meeting with Apple CEO Tim Cook. For more on this, it's time for a closer look. Last week, the president's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, was sentenced to 47 months in jail for tax and bank fraud, which is much less than the 19 to 24 years prosecutors recommended. And to justify the lenient sentence, the judge in the case said something that didn't really add up. The judge telling the court just moments ago that he believed that a sentence of 19 to 24 years, as was recommended by the prosecutors in this case, would be excessive for Paul Manafort. The judge then also said, uh, let me read this for you here, Wolf. He said that, he, that Paul Manafort lived an otherwise blameless life. Well, if you take out all the stuff he's being blamed for, sure. I mean, Ted Bundy lived an otherwise blameless life. And remember, this guy, this guy right here. Stole millions of dollars, committed tax and bank fraud, and in June he went to jail for witness tampering, a crime he committed while he was on house arrest for a different crime. <laughs> the nicest thing you can say about him is that he's great at multitasking. <laughs> I bet his cellmate's gonna love his chore poster. <laughs> and Manafort's corruption went beyond financial crimes. He spent virtually his entire career in Washington lobbying on behalf of some of the worst people in the world. <laughs> 
If you look at Manafort's long history of lobbying, it is about as controversial as you can get. He has represented a gallery, a rogues gallery of foreign dictators. The firm he helped found developed a niche representing a roster of controversial international clients that has been described as the torturer's lobby. Filipino dictator Marcos and Golan Gorilla Leader Jonas Savimbi ousted Ukrainian president and Putin ally Viktor Yanukovych. He lobbied for dictators, set up something called the torturer's lobby, and he was with Bain when they blew up that football field. <laughs> also, let's just take a second to note how insane the racial disparities in our criminal justice system are. Paul Manafort committed tax and bank fraud and created something called the torturer's lobby and was sentenced to less than four years in prison. Compare that to what a public defender in Brooklyn tweeted last week. For context on Manafort's 47 months in prison, my client yesterday was offered 36 to 72 months in prison for stealing $100 worth of quarters from a residential laundry room. That's insane. No one should go to jail for stealing quarters from a laundry room. And I'm saying that knowing that Donald Trump has almost certainly stolen quarters from a laundry room. <laughs> That's why his coat always looks like this. It's just <laughs> loaded down with change. You know, in the summer, he has a much harder time hiding it. <laughs> Manafort wasn't a marginal figure in Trump's orbit. He was the president's campaign chairman. Just listen to that. President, campaign, and chairman. Each one of those words is super important, and yet Republicans talk about him like he was assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> For example, here's what Louisiana Senator John Kennedy had to say on Sunday. Can you yes, I do. answer yes, the question, I do. though, on, on Paul Manafort? Uh, because Manafort, he was three charged points. with an array Manafort, of felonies number, because of the special counsel's case. Number one, number one, I was surprised at his sentence. I thought it would be longer. Uh, number two, uh, as I've said in the past, Mr. Manafort is a grifter. Uh, he used to be a partner with, with Roger Stone. Um, um, he's, I'm sorry, Margaret, he's just a sleazoid. A sleazoid? <laughs> You sound like one of the guys in Biff's gang from Back to the Future. You should be wearing 3D glasses and holding a skateboard. <laughs> now, in sentencing Manafort, the judge noted that the specific charges in this case were not directly related to the question of Russian collusion. He did not say there was no collusion, just that this case was not about collusion. But that didn't stop Trump from twisting his words anyway when he spoke to reporters on Friday. I feel very badly for Paul Manafort. Uh, I think it's been a very, very tough time for him, but if you notice, uh, both his lawyer, a highly respected man, and a very highly respected judge, the judge said there was no collusion with Russia. It's had nothing to do with collusion. There was no collusion. It's a collusion hoax. It's a collusion witch hoax. I don't collude with Russia. Did he just call it a witch hoax? <laughs> All of his catchphrases are starting to blend together now. Trump has the same diction and syntax as a spam email asking for your social security number. Help, I need a monies for a witch hoax. Trump has this habit of taking other people's words out of context and insisting those people exonerated him when they did no such thing, like when his former personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, testified before Congress. Cohen said he personally did not possess any definitive evidence of collusion, but Trump insisted that what Cohen had actually said was that there was no collusion at all, although he couldn't seem to make up his mind about whether Cohen was a liar or not. He lied a lot, but it was very interesting because he didn't lie about one thing. He said, no collusion with the Russian hoax. 
And I said, I wonder why he didn't just lie about that, too, like he did about everything else. I mean, he lied about so many different things. And I was uh, actually impressed that he didn't say, well, I think there was collusion for this reason or that. He didn't say that. He said no collusion. And I was, uh, you know, a little impressed by that, frankly. Could have, he could have gone all out. He only won about 95 percent instead of 100 percent. I love that Trump is impressed that Cohen lied 95 percent of the time but not 100% of the time. <laughs> Trump talks about not lying the way the rest of us talk about those guys who climb mountains without any equipment. It's like, well, that's impressive. I could never do that. <laughs> Trump, of course, is a pathological liar. His instinct is to lie about everything from Russian collusion to the smallest and most meaningless details. In fact, here's an example of one of the dumbest things Trump has ever lied about. You might remember that last week, this clip of Trump meeting with the CEO of Apple, Tim Cook, went viral. You've really... Uh, put a big investment in our country. We appreciate it very much, Tim Apple. That's right. <laughs> he called him Tim Apple. Does Trump think that when you run a company, you're named after the product? <laughs> Mr. President, so you know Bill Gates. Uh, I believe it's Bill Windows. <laughs> so that happened last week. Now, a normal person would have just let it go, written it off as a slip of the tongue and moved on, but Donald Trump is not a normal person. And on Sunday... The website Axios reported that during a meeting in Florida with Republican donors, Trump claimed the media were spreading fake news when they said he called the CEO of Apple Tim Apple. Trump told the donors that he actually said Tim Cook Apple really fast, and the Cook part of the sentence was soft. Okay, of all. Tim Cook Apple doesn't make any more sense than Tim Apple. Tim Cook Apple sounds like how Tarzan would describe someone making a pie. <laughs> Tim Cook Apple. Tim eat apple. Tarzan loved him. Second, the story you want us to believe is that you didn't say we appreciate it very much, Tim Apple. You said we appreciate it very much, Tim Cook Apple. <laughs> if you're gonna lie, at least improve your situation. <laughs> Officer, I have not been drinking because I was doing too much cocaine. And even the people in the room thought Trump's lie was bizarre. According to Axios, Republican donors in attendance called it one of Trump's weirdest lies ever. I just thought, why would you lie about that, one of the donors told me. It doesn't even matter. No, it doesn't, but Trump lies about stuff that doesn't matter because he lies about everything. Trump lies for the same reason Forrest Gump runs. He just does. <laughs> lie, Forrest, lie! So, when that version... When that version of the story didn't fly, incredibly, Trump woke up this morning and doubled down again, this time with an entirely new story. He claimed he combined Tim Cook's name and his company's name because it was faster. Trump took to Twitter saying, quote, at a recent roundtable meeting of business executives and long after formally introducing Tim Cook of Apple, I quickly referred to Tim plus Apple as Tim Apple as an easy way to save time and words. The fake news was disparagingly all over this, and it became yet another bad Trump story. Only Trump could claim that he was trying to save time and words by writing a long tweet that takes up time and words. <laughs> you know, if you really want to save time and words, you could just not talk at all. Do all your campaign rallies with duct tape over your mouth, or at least skip a bunch of words so it sounds like this. We have won, and I am very totally crazy. <laughs> the...
Of course, the best part of all of this is that Trump now has to double down and do it to everyone. Oh, there's my friend Elon Tesla. Oh, if it isn't Steven Movies. And there's my buddy Paul Crimes. Everyone. Everyone in Trump's orbit is a habitual liar. They lie about everything from the dumbest things to the most important things. Just take Eric Prince. He's an informal Trump advisor and the former CEO of the mercenary company Blackwater. Prince testified under oath to Congress that he had no official role in the Trump campaign, but in an interview last week, he admitted that he was present at a secret Trump Tower meeting in 2016 with emissaries of several foreign governments. And in the interview, he claimed that he hadn't lied to Congress, even though he obviously did. How come you didn't mention that meeting to Congress, given it's so relevant to their investigation? Uh, I did. As part of the part of the investigations, I certainly uh, disclosed any uh, any meetings. The very very not few the, I had. Not in the congressional testimony you gave to the House. We went through it. You didn't mention anything about August 2016 meeting in Trump Tower. I they did. specifically asked you what context you have, and you didn't answer that. Uh, I don't believe I was asked that question. I've got the transcript of the conversation here. Sure. I mean, I, I might have been. Uh, I, I think I was at Trump headquarters or the campaign headquarters. Trump maybe, Tower, uh, August 3rd, 2016. You? Possible. Don't you think that's something important to disclose to the House Intelligence Committee while you're under oath? I did. You didn't. We just went through the testimony. There's no mention <laughs> of the Trump Tower meeting in August 2016. Why not? I don't know if they got the transcript wrong. Damn. Sudi's going to go from I wasn't asked that question to the transcript was wrong to I was just trying to save time and words. <laughs> Trump lying about the dumbest things is revealing because it shows that he and his associates lie about anything, from Paul Manafort to Russian collusion to the CEO of his favorite company. Jim Apple. This has been a closer look. Our guest is an Emmy Award-winning writer known for her work on Saturday Night Live. She stars in AP Bio, which airs Thursday nights at 8.30 here on NBC. Please welcome back to the show one of my favorite people in the world, Paula Fell, everybody. Hi, Paula. Oh, hello, hello. You looked wonderful. Thank you so much. I condoed my closet so hard I had to go get an outfit. Oh, wow. Because all I had left was like a bra and sweatpants that I only wear when I have the flu. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> so I got that's a little That's the danger, suit. the danger of condoing. You over-condo. <laughs> You're looking at my butt right now. <laughs> I've known you uh, for a very long time. So and long. I met you as a writer at SNL, and everyone who ever worked in a writer's room with you knew you to be the funniest person on earth. And now it's really exciting because uh, you're acting a lot more now, and the world is seeing uh, how funny I am. You are. I'm aging into these older lady characters. I was born at 50, I was born a matron, <laughs> but I always wore the gray spray in my hair and played the mother superior in eighth grade in Sound of Music. And now. I'm actually of an, of an approximate age. I'm nearing an approximate age where I could play a lady say in her 50s. That's wonderful. And, and the world is so happy to have it. And, uh, and now, and you, you've created so many characters, uh, too many to list for uh, uh, wonderful actors at SNL over the years. You have a new character. I have a new character. For yourself now, which is really exciting. Just to soothe myself and my friends. It's just kind of not fully fleshed out yet, but I was going to try it out on you. Um, Great. It's, uh, it got inspired when I was drinking some tea, some green tea, and I found what was on the box so comforting. Come, come over here, Seth. Okay, I, come sit next to The world is just such a scary place now, so I just... Okay. I, I and what's the name of your feel, character? Um, my character's name is Nana Teabags. Okay, gotcha. So just come over here with okay. me and just really park your head in my bosom. Just go. Okay. Like that? Okay. Just right in the bike rack. Okay. 
Now just close your eyes. Okay, the biker. And I'm just going to read about tea. You ready? Yeah. Through the screened front door, zingy lemongrass and sprightly spearmint cokes, contemplative pan-fired green teas to come play. Calmly, Lemon Verbena opens the door and invites them all to a cup of tea. (laughs) Now, wait, there's a little bit more. Okay. Giggling, giggling notes of curious chai tea peek mischievously from behind a painted screen. They summon us and gently suggest that we join their spicy hang and leave our pantaloons at the door. You have Go back such... and sit there because I'm starting to get straight. <laughs> you have such... My 10% went to 12. Okay. You're up to 12? That's I'm your... up to 12. That's a new I'm record. With you. You're foxy. Thank you. Your diction is such that you were just like blowing those words across the top of yeah, my hair. Yeah, very just Sally Kellerman. Yes. Blue cheese dressings. <laughs> You had uh, another incredible performance this year, and even Jesse Eisenberg, a previous guest, was shouting you out. Uh, an episode see. of Documentary Now, uh, you played, you basically uh, channeled Elaine Stritch. I channeled her. I did not do a real impression of her. No, you, no one can be Elaine Stritch. You grabbed her spirit. Yes. Uh, because there was this famous moment in this documentary about the company cast recording where she was having issues singing her song, Ladies Who Lunch. Yes. Uh, you, in this episode, uh, were singing a song, I Gotta Go. Also having difficulties, let's take a look at a clip real fast. I gotta go. Take 11. Benedict, just so we're clear, earlier, many times I mentioned I had an eye doctor appointment to get my eyes scraped. I have already taken the medication, and it's ripping through my system, so we need to be brisk with this. Let's just do it. And I gotta go. I should do better or different than this. No kidding. It was. It was so, so joyous to watch you. I hope you enjoyed uh, doing it. It was so, so beyond. I'm such a theater nerd. I got my degree in theater in college. I always did theater, and it was. And and I stage managed company when I was young. And my mom actually played that Lane Stritch role. She hadn't done theater since high school, and she said, "I turned forty, and I'm going to get my license finally." And driver's license, and I'm going to be in a show. And she played, she sang Ladies Who Lunch. So it was like a perfect little beautiful thing. But we we kept laughing because we loved doing it so much and learning all the music that we kept, like, we finished. And they're like, great, we're wrapped. And we're like, can't we go to Seattle in a van and <laughs> local theaters? You, uh, speaking of your mom, who uh, yes. is just a full delight, and I'm always so happy to see her. You had a girls' weekend with your mom and your sister. Yes, I did. Um, I I wanted to share this. I called my mom and asked her if, if I could talk about this, and she's like, I don't care. Um, I really thought she'd protest. You'll know when I tell you this. Um, whenever my mom and my sister and my nieces, we get together, we always kind of challenge my mom to live her best life. We always try to ex- have her experiment with things. I'm not going to go into details about what. <laughs> But this is one particular time where my sister and I uh, were watching television late at night with her. My dad had gone to bed, and we we told her, we didn't force her, she did it, but we said, pick out a porn movie to watch. 
And so we, we scrolled through, and we were just like, just pick a quickie one. It's, they're 15 minutes long. I don't know why they're 15 minutes. They should be two minutes long. But anyway, they, um, she picked 55-year-old and older sexy grannies. Wow. I found 55 to be a little bit low number for grannies. But um, so we started watching it. And the first thing is my sister, we're watching it. And my mom's like, watching it like this. And she goes, who the hell would want to be the cameraman all up in that stink? (laughs) And then my sister, because we're not paying attention, because I'm furiously taping on my phone, you know, sending to the grandchildren, like just crying, laughing. And my sister goes, rewind it, rewind it. Oh, my God. My sister, Patty. And we rewound it. And there was a spot where he like lays her over the couch and they're about to do it. And he takes his hearing aids out like this and goes... (laughs) And then finally, we're, we're continuing to watch it. My mother's really studying it. And uh, she just goes, who the hell would want to watch him in a close-up, a scratch in his craggy-ass foot? Who wants to see this guy's foot? I don't understand why this is sexy. Who wants to see his foot? And then I look at the television, and it was not his foot. <laughs> Unless his foot has just one big toe and a sagging ankle. It's not his foot. He was, yeah. he was scratching it. Yeah, he was scratching it. He was scratching the length of it. Um, yeah, it probably an athlete's foot. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, that is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. I mean, I, what a joy to just be there for it. Your oh mom has inspired uh, you in a lot of ways. I know yes. um, Kate McKinnon. Uh, has played this character in Update, which is uh, uh, inspire, a woman who watches soap operas. Yeah, this inspired. is my mom, Deanie. Yeah. Uh, she looks very much like this. Yes, they she did does. the wig exactly like my mom's hair. And I, I used to write her doing my mom talking about the soaps because my mom and I still watch the soaps and we, we ADR, uh, ADR them. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, we Xerox them. Um, and my mom will call me and she'll go, Do you watch them today? Oh my God, were they good? And she, she goes, you know, mustache and big boobs went in. And that baby's not, th- you know, that baby's not dead. And she'll text me things all of a sudden with no warning and go, you know, that baby's not dead. And I'm like, oh, the baby's not dead. Um, but she does, she's watched it for 40 years and does not know one character's name. So That's she great. She calls them big boobs, redhead. Um, you know, slut bag, you know, different things. <laughs> different things. Yeah. Uh, uh, one last thing, and, and hopefully you're going to come back and talk about it uh, when it comes out, but you uh, were just in a film uh, that Amy Poehler directed and is also in, and it's basically all uh, the group of women from your era at SNL. Yeah, it's uh, Dratch, on a, Anna Gasteyer, yeah. Maya, uh, Tina. It's called Wine Country. It's coming out soon, and uh, we did it for Netflix, and it is... Such a joy ride, and it's basically we reenacted with fictional characters, but kind of very close to ourselves, uh, a trip we took for for one of our fiftieth birthdays. Uh, and that I cannot wait to see it. There's so much fantastic stuff, and it will we'll be talking about it soon and and uh, giving all the details of it. But um, I might uh, have a scene with a lot of dildas. <laughs> <laughs> one more to have here, Paula Bell, everybody. AP Bio airs Thursday nights at 8.30 here at NBC. Hey, this is Kevin. We are backstage with Paula Pell. Hi, Paula. Hi, Kevin. 
congrats on AP Bio. You're fantastic you. in the show. Thank you. I love that character so much. She assaults people with optimism. Comes out of Such low self-esteem, but I don't care. Yeah, she's sunny. How did you get involved with the show initially? I mean, you had some guest starring spots last season, well, right? Well, last season I did almost every episode as a guest star and played the same, you know, the same character. And uh, this year they asked me to be part of the series as a regular and it was so fun because I had already been there so much. And the cast is, I mean, Pat Oswald is one of the funniest humans on earth and as is Glenn Howerton and all the girls that play the teachers are incredible and the students. So I just love the whole gang. It's a, it's a, Mike O'Brien created it with out of his fantastically weird brain. Mm-hmm. And um, I grew up in the Midwest, so it's very recognizable to me of all those kind of strange school characters and especially my character, Helen Henry DeMarcus. Did you work with O'Brien at all at SNL or did yeah, you guys sort of... Yeah, I mean, of- we worked a little bit together and then I would come back and do shows. And so I was, you know, around Mike a lot. And, and then, you know, Seth and Mike both asked me, you know, and, and Mike Shoemaker. And it, it was just such a family of people that I'm so comfortable with that... They're producers on the show. Yeah, they're, they're producers, producers on, on the show. Yeah. And so it was just so um, immediately comfortable and fun. And then every script we get, is just just a gift, a bag of hilarious jokes, and then you can throw more in, but it's not like a script that you get where you're like, oh, I gotta try to make this funny. Patton was here, and he was saying how hard it is to improvise with you because mm-hmm. it's you're, you make him laugh so much, and the tags you'll put on lines that just you have take after take. Of well, just- because the scripts are so funny, you don't have to really add anything, but... You know, they would say to me, like, throw a couple things in at the end, yeah. which is always, you know, for any comedy writer is the most fun thing to do is the little closer uh-huh. is to just add a, you know, add a different ending to it. So a lot of times I like to just surprise Patton with stuff. But he and I are so codependent, our characters, and we both together have about one person's worth of self-esteem. So a lot of what we do at the school is is out of just desperate desperate mm-hmm. need to be loved. Yeah. And Glenn's character, Jack Griffin, is just really kind of a bastard. But uh-huh. we're now seeing his little veins of gold and, and his sweet side. So yeah. that's always the fun part. And you wrote an episode this season. Yes, I did. And I, you know, at first was like, oh, sure. I'll, they asked me. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll write an episode. No problem. I mean, that's what I've done for all these years. Uh-huh. And then I was really shitting my pants because I, you know, realized I hadn't written that show before. Mm-hmm. And, but it was so fun because the characters were already so, so designated of who they are, how they sound, how they're funny. Mm-hmm. And it was just their voices are in my head because I have acted with them. But this yeah. is the first time I've ever written something after being the actor in it for a while. I was going to ask about that because yeah. you, it's like a different way in rock and you Parks and Rec Parks and Rec, well? yeah. yeah. And I had little little parts in those sometimes, mm-hmm. but, you know, very minimal. And so this is the first time I was primarily acting in a show for a while and then mm-hmm. s- was writing behind the scenes. So the table mm-hmm. read for that episode that I wrote, it was yeah. really nerve-wracking because it's like, oh, this is real. This is something I wrote, and I hope it gets laughs. And um, it was a very collaborative thing because his writers, you know, took the script after and made it funnier, funnier, funnier. So... It was it was really fantastic. Is it more difficult to write for yourself as a character, like uh, writing lines uh, for Helen? Or I don't think so because this character is so goofy. Like mm-hmm. 
Helen's character reminds me of, I mean, not, nothing is, as, um, you know, is Betty White and Golden Girls, but it reminds me of that in the fact that she always has an anecdote about something. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, oh, well, I almost died once. And then, you know, telling a little quick anecdote about um, having a, a, a severe head injury. <laughs> um, there's just always something funny that Helen conjures up uh, in terms of her memories of, of stories. So it's you can hear the little rhythms of everybody, and that's how I used to write at SNL too. Is if you knew the characters' little rhythm, it, you could write. I mean, we, when we used to write Bobby and Marty, yeah. we would sit in that room and just write like four hundred minutes worth of a sketch because we just keep talking like those characters, mm-hmm. and you just know how they're going to talk about mm-hmm. anything, throw any subject at them, mm-hmm. and you'd know how they talk about it. So yeah, Seth alluded to it. I mean, you've written so many characters for SNL over the years. I mean, you did cheerleaders, Bobby and Marty. Uh, Debbie Downer, Tony some, Bennett, Tony Bennett with Alec Baldwin, um, Appalachian of Emergency Room uh-huh. with my best friend yeah. James, um, and I wrote a lot of uh, commercial parodies. Mm-hmm. And my very first commercial parody I ever wrote, I watched the other day, and I hadn't seen it in a long time. And it was um, Litter Critters, uh-huh. and it was a woman complaining that her kids never clean up after their cat, and it was molds that you put all the cat shit in in molds and make like dinosaurs and different things. So the kids were like kissing these little toys and they were clearly made of litter and cat It's fantastic. I feel like that's yeah, been included. kind of highbrow like stuff that best, they put on NPR, right? In like best of commercial pair. I feel yeah. like that's been in some of those uh, well, retrospectives. I just always loved at that show, no matter what you thought of, if it was, if it did work, it, they'd make it and you'd suddenly look and they'd have these props made of some crazy thing you thought of it five in the morning yeah. and you'd be like oh okay yeah did you have a favorite character that you would write at snl um we always loved writing appalachian emergency room uh-huh. because it was just very fun to write someone trying to tell how they got hurt at the emergency room with something and then of course chris parnell always had something up, up his butt so uh-huh. we would we would uh and seth actually used to play the nurse mm-hmm. and he would say what's up there this week tyler and tyler would say well you know i was doing uh uh, kung fu moves on a I had lotioned my feet and I was doing kung fu moves on a tarp and I fell wink stinker down on a ziggy statue um, and so we would just cry laughing about that I used to enjoy doing the um, omeletteville type sketches for for uh, Justin Timberlake because uh-huh. I would very late at night after everyone went home would do a deep dive into rap music and if anyone was walking by they would just see this older white lady really ripping into some Jay-Z and <laughs> trying to rewrite this, the lyrics. And, um, but that's something you've always done very well is uh, musical sketches and, yeah, and music. I and, love, and I love music. That's why the documentary now was so fun to do because I was such a musical person always. And I would write musical sketches as was James Anderson. And so it was really, really fun to be able to sing on something because a lot of times I would write stuff that people would sing and you would write some of the musical monologues for yep. write the music hosts. monologue sometimes and the monologues are the hardest thing for a writer they're the things that you you kind of dread being in charge of the most just mm-hmm. because it's such a high pressure it's the very first thing the host does and and um, you want them to feel so good afterwards and and so I I did a lot of monologues and they were all sponsored by Imodium because they were very nerve-wracking. Uh-huh. 
uh, we talked about the movie Wine Country a little yes. bit um, that is coming out later this spring on Netflix. Amy Poehler directed. You still keep in touch with all of the ladies from SNL who were in your generation yeah. and, and who you wrote for. Um, you guys are on a text chain. We're on a little a little text chain, and we we talk almost every day. We check in, and you know, it, in the world when there's an amazing thing that happens in the world or a sad thing that happens or whatever it is. That's the first people we go to is mm-hmm. we talk to each other. And it's it's been quite a few years that we've been talking together like that. And it's it's just such an incredible group. So then when we did the movie, it was just we're, we're all still so close and, yeah. and even closer in different ways than we've ever been. So it was really unbelievable to spend two months with them being kind of ourselves but other characters and Emily Spivey wrote a fantastic script the best Uh Emily Spivey and Liz Kakowski wrote it and it's so natural the script feels so natural to us and the way we interact with each other and that's an that's really a testament to how much they know us and Mm -hmm. how much they know how we make each other laugh Mm -hmm. and and Emily's also in the movie so um, it's just everything, every way we crack each other up in the movie is how we crack each other up in real life. So yeah. when you watch it, it, it just feels so much like us, you know, and other people don't know us, so they'll watch it and enjoy just these characters or female friendships. But it really, to us, it's just like watching home movies of just us screwing around, yeah. you know. You guys are done shooting AP Bio for We're done this for this season, season two, mm-hmm. and we're very excited because it just came out this last week, our first episode, and this next episode is really funny. It's got nuns in it because they find out something stolen from their school, mm-hmm. so they come to interrogate us, and these ladies that played these nuns were so hilariously funny. And so we get really hardcore questioned, uh, law and order style by these nuns. Yeah, It's just one of those places, much like SNL, I would have family come visit me at SNL and they'd be like, is there anyone here that's not nice? Because <laughs> it just almost seems suspect that like there's too many nice, good people here. And that's how I feel about going to AP Bio. Yeah. It's just such a group of darlings. That's great. Well, it's fantastic. Thank you for being here. Oh my God, uh, thank you. It's so great you. to see you and uh, come back again soon. Thanks, friend. <laughs> Late Night with Seth Meyers airs weeknights on NBC at 12.35, 11.35 Central. Original music on the Late Night podcast is by the HE Band. Don't forget to follow the handle Late Night Seth on social media and tell your friends to subscribe to the Late Night podcast wherever they get their podcasts. Alex Ryder is back. Hello, Alex. We have a lot of work to do. To face his greatest challenge yet. We have an active threat. They can wipe out an entire city. People are going to die. Now he's running out of time. We have three days to find and destroy. He doesn't know who he can trust. You're not your enemies. You never have been. Everything I've been told has been lies. And our future is in his hands. The truth can be complicated. On April 5th. This weapon is capable of inflicting 100,000 deaths in a heartbeat. The danger is everywhere. Scorpio are no longer hiding in the shadows. The battle threatens everyone. It's personal. It's revenge. It's kill or be killed. That's when you find out what you're really capable of. And his choice could change everything. I'm sick of being manipulated to do what everyone else wants. Tell him the truth. All of it. The world isn't black and white. All we really have are the people we trust. Alex Ryder. Season 3. Streaming free April 5th. Stream seasons 1 and 2 free now.